right, well, hey, welcome to Trinity Life Church. Um, I am so excited that you are here. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here at the church along with Mike. And uh, man, today is such a beautiful day, right? Did you guys, I mean, I woke up this morning. I was pumped about just like being outside. And so it's such a beautiful day. Uh, it's also Alpha Weekend for our church. And so it seems like some of our Alpha uh, attenders are back already. Uh, Alpha is a course that we offer at the church for those who are learning more about Jesus in the Bible and have questions about life and faith. And so we've been praying for them this week. And uh, I hear it was uh, a fantastic weekend, it sounds like. And so, um, just really excited at what God has been doing here at the church. If you're new here, um, just really want to uh, welcome you and just say uh, hello. We are glad that you're here. We're so glad that you are worshiping with us. If you're not new here, hello too. I miss some of you guys. I know that it's hit and miss with summer and all that stuff and everybody's getting busy. Uh, just a real quick announcement. We had planned to do a family meeting, church meeting today. And, uh, and so for, uh, for the most part, we um, thought that it would probably be better to push it off because we have a lot of our core people that are gone this weekend. And so, uh, so we were going to meet right after the service uh, quickly for 20 minutes. So instead what we are going to do is we're going to meet on uh, June 21st. Is that, yep, June 21st. And location to be announced. But if you are a part of the church, if you're a covenant member, if you serve here, if you attend regularly, we want to invite you to be a part of this meeting uh, where we get to share a little bit more about the uh, how the church is doing and kind of our plans for the summer and fall and those kinds of things. And so what we're going to do this week is instead of meeting for um, um, body life groups, which is our weekly small groups, most of our groups meet on Tuesdays. Mine meets on Wednesdays, so bummer for us. But what we're going to do is we're going to actually meet together on um, uh, as, a, as a church, and then we're going to pray. We're going to work through, we're going to talk through some of the things that we have planned for this summer. We're going to get an update from our board, finances, those kinds of things, and then uh, we're going to spend some time worshiping together. And so instead of meeting uh, in small groups that week, so if you're my group uh, in Leslieville or you're a Greek town, uh, those are the groups that meet Wednesday nights. Uh, we will be meeting Tuesday nights, um, time uh, 7 o'clock location. Uh, we've got a few in mind. We just need to pick one and then, uh, all right, so we'll send an email out about that as well. Great. Well, today we're ending our series in Philippians. Man, I love this book. This has been such a rich book. I don't know if you went through the devotions with us and then also just reading on your own, but it's such a rich book. We entitled the series The Art of Finding Joy because Philippians really does boil down to this idea. Paul says that in the Christian life, this is how you experience the joy that God meant for you, not just happiness, not just great circumstances, but this deep inner peace that only God can give you in Christ. And so today he actually ends his letter by telling the Philippian church how great of a church they are. I don't know, as Michelle was reading the passage, I don't know if you guys picked up from it, but he was so appreciative to the Philippian church as to how their response was to him and how they loved him. Remember, keep in mind, this is the first church ever on European soil. This is the first church that was ever started in European soil. And so Paul started this church. And so he was so encouraged 10 years later at who they had become as a church. And so um, there's a temptation, though, here in the Western church and as Western Christians to judge the church as good based on the goods and services that they render. Now, if you didn't grow up in church, you, don't, you, you probably don't have these same biases, right? So is the preaching good? Or is the kids programming good? Or how is the music? Or, you know, were, were their greeters, they were grumpy. Or their coffee was stale, right? I mean, so uh, these are some of these standards that some people choose to, uh, you know, use to kind of, you know, say a church is good or wasn't good, right? Um, you know, my confession is I have a guilty pleasure. I love Burger King churches. 
<laughs> I love Burger King, but I also love Burger King churches. What's a Burger King church? A Burger King church is where you have it your way right away, right? And so I have a guilty pleasure. I'm kind of a church geek. I love those kinds of churches. I was on staff at a large church, and I love the fact that you go in, big auditorium, you don't have to set up stuff. Like, you know, everything was so nice. Like, and so it's tempting to think that, man, that makes a church good. But, you know, the Philippian church, all New Testament churches, the churches that Paul started, None of them were Burger King churches. None of them had the modern trappings that we have that we use to kind of quantify what is a good church, right? Yet it's undeniable that they were an incredible church. They made it into the Bible, for goodness sakes, right? That's how good they were. So how did the New Testament church change the world? And it wasn't primarily by supernatural miracles, and it wasn't their intellectual sophistication that led them to change the world. It was primarily by how they lived out the gospel in the areas, in particular, all right, not limited to, but in particular to these three areas, sex, money, and power. The way that Christians lived out their lives according to the gospel in these three areas changed the Roman Empire, hence they changed the Western world and all of the world. Uh, There's a letter that was written just a few decades after uh, Paul's lifetime. It was one of the earliest letters on the apologetics of Christianity, uh, written to a man named Diognetus. Um, And the letter uh, popularly has been called the Epistle of Methetes, which just means disciple to Diognetus. And he explains that Christians are just like everyone else in society, but their lifestyle and their views on sex and money are vastly different than everybody else's, right? So this is what he actually writes. He says, Christians, they have a common table, but not a common bed. What what does he mean by that? They have a common table, but not a common bed. What he means is that these Christians, they actually share everything they have, a common table. They share their money. They share their possessions. They share um, their, their house, right? In a sense, they are promiscuous with their money, their belongings, their possessions, but they don't share their bed. They're greedy with their bed. They protect marital fidelity. They protect their bodies. They're conservative and greedy when it comes to sex. You see? Completely different ethic than maybe what we're used to, definitely from what the first century was used to. We are in a culture where we say, be greedy with your money, be promiscuous with your body. What made the New Testament church such a transformative force was they took these two or three areas of life and they lived it differently, right? So is today's sermon about money? Yes. Yes and no, right? Now here's the truth, right? I mean, we, we rarely preach a whole sermon about money uh, here at our church. Uh, we've been around for two and a half years. I think Mike preached one, and I think I preached half of one. Uh, so we need to get better. If we preached about money as much as Jesus preached about money, Two things would happen. One, we probably wouldn't have a church, okay? (laughs) Because Jesus talked about money a lot. Um, But, you know, what if we did? What if we did, Mike? Maybe we would be a very generous church, right? More like Jesus, yeah. And so um, the Philippian church, they took Jesus' ethics on money very seriously. And honestly, I wanted to go through a couple of Jesus' teachings on ethics, uh, on, on money, uh, we just don't have time, but they took his ethics of money very seriously, right? And Paul, Paul actually says to them, the reason why you're a great church is because you're very generous, 
people. He, he says to them that th- these are the reasons why. Like, you're, you're great because you are generous, that you give sacrificially. He doesn't say you guys are a great church because your preaching far surpasses Tim Keller. Right? He doesn't say that. He didn't say, oh, your youth program, your kids program, they, the slide that you have in your building, beautiful. Right? He doesn't say that. As a, he didn't say your, your small groups, oh, they're so intimate. He didn't say, oh, your band leader, he's so hipster. He doesn't say that. He didn't say, oh, I love your lasers or the fog machine. He doesn't say any of those things. He doesn't say you have a beautiful building or your building is so vintage. Love it, right? These are, this is not what Paul is saying that makes the church good, the Philippian church good, right? He says, I love it that you guys are generous. He says, you're a good church because I've seen glimpses into your heart. I see glimpses into the hearts of your leaders, and you're so generous. You withhold from yourself for the sake of God's mission. You deny yourself good. For the sake of God's mission, that's what makes you such a good church. You did it because you believe that Jesus gives you freedom, and you want to share that freedom with other people. Your generosity, your sacrifice, that makes you a great church. So today's message title is called The Joy of Giving. The Joy of Giving, how you give when you're transformed. And I want to look at three questions that are answered from the text. Number one is, what does it look like to be generous? Secondly is, why should you be generous? And thirdly is, how to become generous? Or how do you become generous, right? So let's first look at what does it look like to be generous? First couple of verses in this passage. Paul says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. And what Paul is saying is that, you know, I, I helped start this church but then I went on to other places to start other churches. Now, I, I didn't have, you know, I needed financial help. You guys helped me do this, right? And this is what he's saying to them. And so the Greek word that Paul uses here for share is actually the word koinonia. You guys remember this word that we talked about at the very beginning of the service? If you guys weren't here, at the very beginning of the service, we talked about how the word koinonia, translated here share, is actually translated in other places as partnership. Paul uses it in chapter 1, verse 5 as partnership in the gospel. In other places in the Bible, it's translated fellowship. We have used this word to mean, to quantify Christian fellowship. It is the quantity of relationship that God intends for us to have. And Paul says that, man, you guys, you koinoniaed with me in my trouble and in my suffering. When you're a generous giver, you partner, you fellowship, you live in community with people in order to gain some of their suffering and some of their hardships for yourselves. In a sense, you actually take what is inconveniently financially for them, and you make it inconveniently financial for you. That's koinonia in the way that we live, right? That's hard. I don't want to share my bank account with you. (laughs) I'll buy you coffee, but I don't know if I can pay for your cell phone bill, because, I mean, why do you need a cell phone anyways? Why do you need two gigs, right? right, So, again, I'm helping you to think through how we think, right? How I think, all right. <laughs> Paul called them an accept only you church. Or accept you only. What is an, an accept you only church? It's a church that when no one else in town will help, you will. Are you capable of helping? No. Do you have the time and the resources to help? Nope. Are you big enough to help? Nope. Is it easy? Or convenient for you to help church? Nope. Is there anyone else helping? No. So then we will. We'll do it. 
That's an accept you only church. We'll do it. We're not the biggest show in town. We don't have the most money. We don't have the most resources. We don't have the best leaders. But if nobody else is going to do it, we'll do it. Is, here's a question I've been asking myself throughout this week. Is, is Trinity Life, let's be honest, are we in an accept you only church? Is that who we are? I think we're becoming that. I think we are becoming that. We're committed to being a church in downtown, but we're also committed similarly to the church in Philippi, to seeing churches established in, uh, in other parts of the GTA. We want to help organizations where they, if they can't do it themselves, you know, if we can help, then we want to help. We don't need to have things branded under our name. If we can come under, underneath somebody and accomplish their purposes, we want to help. And uh, at the beginning of our series, we introduced a couple to you guys, Yusuf and uh, Jackie, and I think we have a picture right up here. Um, that was Mike with his beard. I'm trying to catch up with Mike and Adam. Um, and so you guys know Yusuf and, and Jackie. They were here. We prayed for them. Uh, I, I think it was our second or third week into our series. And uh, we, um, uh, they, feel a, they, feel, they felt a, uh, a call and they have a vision to plant a church in Milton to reach Pakistanis and South Asian people. They have a beautiful heart. We spent, we had a, a lovely meal with the best butter chicken ever had. Their daughter, Christina, made it. And we had a great time just sitting with them. And Mike and I, we agreed that sitting with them was the best thing for us because we felt now that, we have, that we're family with them, right? Are they from Trinity Life? Do they come from our ranks? No. Um, but we've adopted them. They're a part of our family now. Do they have any other church in the GTA, any other church in the world that right now that they can turn to and call and love on no, except you only. We are that church for them. All right. And so when I, I met with them later last year and they were telling their vision, I said, man, God, well, it's no coincidence that, you know, my, we've been, Mike and I feel like we need to make a trip out to Pakistan and, and, and do, um, do a vision trip out there. It was no coincidence that this couple just kind of came into our way and had a vision to reach people. Now, if you, if you want to know them more, I'd love to sit down and tell you the history of how they came to Canada. Because Jackie's brother-in-law was a significant leader in the country of Pakistan. And because things didn't turn out the way that they were hoping, they had to flee the country. And so it's amazing. So what we did was early on uh, in this series, uh, I think it was probably our second or third week, we took an offering for them. And we, you, you guys took up an offering and you gave $2,000 towards their move from Brampton to Milton. And so praise God, on June 28th, they will be moving into their house in Milton. And so, here's the cool thing. This is how, this is how God's blessed them. They're not even in Milton yet, and they already have a church of 20 people meeting in Milton, right? So they drive an hour and a half, whatever the time is, to get from Brampton to Milton, and they've been like every weekday when, they, when they're not working, because he's a security guard at night. And so when they're not working, they're out evangelizing. They already have 20 people gathering on a Sunday, and they don't even live in Milton yet. Isn't that incredible? We get to be a part of that. We've been enter- we've, we're entering into that story with them. And so um, <clears throat> we received a generous gift over the last couple of weeks. Uh, and and uh, so uh, through some prayer and Mike and I just sitting down and looking at our finances, we determined that, you know what, let's bless them even more. Let's give them another $2,000. And so we, uh, we received a gift um, uh, to the church, it was a it was a, a handsome gift of about ten thousand dollars, and we said let's give them two thousand dollars of that gift, and so over the course of the next six months, we're gonna you know increase our monthly support that we already are 
and pledging to them and so that they can do the work that God's called them to do in, uh, in Milton. And we get to be a part of that. Uh, just, a, just a quick word on that gift. So somebody, you know, uh, they, uh, you know, said, hey, what are the needs of the church? And had a conversation, had no clue that this person was going to give a gift to us. And so they ended up giving a gift to us of 10000 And after talking about it, Mike and I praying, we said, hey, let's give it all away. Let's not keep it. Let's give it all away. So we decided that over the course of the next uh, six months that through church planting, uh, the al Jamalis, the Syrian refugee family that we are sponsoring, um, and then uh, Global Work in Pakistan, and then also uh, at the end of the summer, we're going to do a Sunday serve. I think it's August 21st, 14th, 21st. You guys figure that out. Um, we're going to spend half that money serving the local needs of downtown. Isn't that cool, guys? I mean, that's, I want to clap for that. Come on, Aaron, me and you clap. And we're just going to give it all away. Like, I mean, why? Why? I mean, do we, do we have needs here? Yes. You know, do I want to receive a full-time salary from the church? Yes, I do. <laughs> okay. Small sacrifice. Do we need a building? Yeah, it would be cool. But do those things need to happen before we actually are an accept you only church? No. We can be an accept you only church now. And God's called us to do that. When we say kingdom, those are the kinds of things that illustrate that we're trying to be kingdom-minded as a church. Paul says, you're an accept you only church. You have your own needs. I know, I know you're trying to buy that house. I know you're trying to, you know, upgrade the, you know, the kitchen. But there are some things that accept you only can do. And, he's, and Paul says, man, I, I love that you guys have been that for me. And I love that you've been that for the kingdom of God. I'm going to give you three practices of financial partnership that I, I try to do my best at doing. Okay, me and Linda, we have these conversations from time to time. And so I'm going to give you three things that in my life that I would tell myself over and over again. That when it gets hard, when I feel the, the pennies pinching and I know it's, it's difficult for me to give, that I remind myself, no, I'm partnered with the kingdom. I'm partnered with the kingdom. And so I'm going to, I'm going to always risk more than I conserve. And so the first uh, practice that we try to live with is we try to live with an open hand, all right? You live with an open hand. It is impossible to outgive God. It is in, when you are investing in something as great and as big as the global church, it is impossible for that to be a bad investment, right? Point, uh, case in point, there was, a, there was a need that was brought to Lynn and I of a family that we really believe in and we really uh, just love and we, we care for. And so there was a need in their life, and we prayed about it, and we both felt like the Lord said to us, uh, we need to bless them with $1,000. Now, $1,000 may not be a big deal for you, but in the Yang house, that's a big deal. <laughs> that's, that's digging into savings and Justin's, Justin's braces fund big deal to us. And so, but yet we said, like, okay, that's what we need to do, you know, and let's, right, I mean, and so we prayed about it and, you know, nervously wrote the check, and we wrote the check, and that was about a week and a half ago, right? Um, and so you, you write the check and you forget about it, right? I kid you not, and I've shared stories like this before with you guys. And I'm not saying this is going to happen to you, and I'm not preaching the prosperity gospel, and I'm not saying that, you know, you know uh, this is a, a way to invest. But what I am saying is that there have been numerous times when I've done things like this, and God did some other things to, like, completely impress me. And so it hasn't happened yet, but there was an opportunity presented to us as a family uh, last week that in the weeks to come that we'll be made, as a family we'll be able to make $2,000. Tell me there's no correlation. 
Like, tell me there's no correlation. Like, you tell me that God did not correlate. God didn't come up with that, right? Uh, and so I will live with an open hand because as you open your hand, you're also receiving. Why wouldn't God give to somebody who's generous? Why wouldn't God give to somebody who is a good deal, right? I look at my finances. I, am, I get to borrow these clothes. I am a steward of God's resources. I will live open-handed. The more you clench your fists, the less you'll receive. Not saying financially, but spiritually, the less you receive. There's something about greed that does that to us. All right. Secondly is I will manage shrewdly so that I can give generously. I manage shrewdly. So I'm responsible with my finances. I invest where I can invest. I conserve what I need to conserve. Why? So I have a large, you know, TD bank account line? No. So that I can give generously. All right? Uh, shrewd management of money leads to earthly wealth. Okay? This is, this is just human. This is not specifically Bible. But if you manage your money well, it leads to earthly wealth. All right? But if you give generously from your earthly wealth, it leads to kingdom wealth. It leads to kingdom riches, right? So you manage your finances shrewdly, responsibly, so that you can give generously, right? So um, thirdly is I will do for one that I wish I could do for everyone. I got this from a guy named Andy Stanley, right? You can't, you know, it, it makes no sense to give a quarter to every person that you know, okay? It makes very little sense to do that. It may make sense for you to, you've got somebody in your life and you know this, is, this person, quote unquote, is a project for us financially for the next two years, right? Uh, or this vision we're going to give to, right? You do for one what you wish you can do for everybody. But you know practically it doesn't make sense to do it for everybody because then you're not effective. So you're going to do your best for one. And you're not going to feel guilty that you can't do it for everybody else. But you know that you're going to effectively bring change to that person or to that organization or to that cause that you're helping, right? Making sense? All right. Kingdom principles, ways to kind of think through financial partnership in the kingdom. All right. We're going to move on to the next question, which is more important than what does it look like. But the next question is why? why? Why would you be generous? Why should you be generous? And we'll look at what Paul says. Paul says, even in Thessalonica, verses 16 and 17, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit, all right? Before we jump into this passage, let me talk about uh, the idea of greed real quick. Greed is a total joy thief. Greed is a total joy robber. It steals from your joy if you live, um, if you have greed. Out of all sins, though, greed is the most difficult to, 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 to pinpoint, right? You can tell when somebody is actually committing adultery because it's pretty obvious, right? It's really hard to tell when somebody's greedy because it's very easy to say, oh, yeah, they're very thrifty, right? Or they're great savers. We're great savers, right? Um, or they're, oh, yeah, they like to live life very modestly, right? right? None of those things are wrong, but those are words or caricatures that we can actually hide behind, that our greed can hide behind, right? So, so how do you know? How do you know when you're actually dealing with greed in your own heart? It's helpful to couple the idea of greed with, with uh, envy and with covetousness, right? And so if you just think about greed, nobody feels greedy. Do you feel greedy? No, no. I mean, you might feel selfish, but you don't feel greedy. But if you 
if you couple the idea with envy and, and coveting, then you might see a different brand of greed begin to rise. For instance, if I'm making $50,000 a year, right, but I see the guy making $60,000 a year, I don't feel so good about myself, right? Because that guy's making better money. He's not better than me. Like, he's, he's actually not even as smart as me, but he's making more money than me, right? Right? So I got, I, got, I got to get to that mark, right? If I'm making $500,000, which I am not making $500,000, and I, I run into the guy, I'm at, a, at one of those deals where you're meeting people, networking, I meet a guy who's only been in the game half as long as I've been, but he's making a million dollars now, right? I don't feel good about myself. What's wrong with me, right? And so I'll give where I can, but I won't give generously because Why? Because I got to play catch up, man. I got to catch up to this dude. I got to catch up to this idea, right? It may not even be a person, but you're playing catch up with something, right? And so if you can detect those kinds of things in your heart, I'm not saying you're a greedy person. You're probably envious, definitely, and covetous. But usually, not far behind envy and covetousness is this greed, right? And here's some thoughts about greed. Not only is it a joy robber, you see how it robs your joy, right, when you're greedy? Because you're constantly comparing. You're never at where you need to be. And you know why this is a bad game to play, right? Because once the $500,000 guy becomes the million-dollar guy, guess where he's going to go? He's going to go into a more sophisticated party where he's going to meet the $2 million guy, right? And so he never wins, right? This is the game that he's playing, right? So it's complete joy thief to live our lives this way. You know that. We know that. So why should you want to be generous? Because when you live in generosity, it means that you're actually being freed from your greed, right? There's freedom entering into your life. By nature, greed limits you, but also it limits other people around you. It's not just about killing your own happiness or your joy. Here's a thought, that the greatest risk in greed is that there is an injustice happening around you, and you're contributing to it. There's some kind of injustice happening around you. And by our greediness, we're actually contributing to that injustice. Um, there's an injustice happening when we choose to withhold instead of giving. And here's a thought. Greed not only robs me of joy, but it robs someone else of an opportunity. There's so much about our stewardship, the things that we, our possessions, our homes, our cars, your tokens for the TTC, they don't necessarily all belong to you when you buy them, okay? There's, these things, these are also tools in our hands to create opportunities for other people, right? It doesn't mean that I can't buy braces for my kids. It doesn't mean that I can't, you know, buy a $15 t-shirt versus a $7 t-shirt. But it does mean that by and large, our possessions, our table, these are opportunities for other people. So God loves us the way that he loves his beautiful son, Jesus. So let's go back to Paul's word. He says this um, in, at the end of verse 17. He says, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul's saying, when you give to me, I'm so excited, not because like, you guys are helping me, but I love it that it's adding increase to your credit. And the word credit here is actually the same word that Paul uses in, in Romans chapter 4, verse 3, to describe Abraham, the father of our faith, the credit that was given to him when he believed or he trusted in God. 
And so that verse says that because, of, uh, because Abraham trusted God, it was accredited to him righteousness. Same word, right? Same concept. So what does he mean by credit? Paul is saying that God has a way of knowing us, that either we're righteous or we're unrighteous in God's eyes. Right? And because of our condition of sin, we are not righteous. Greed, covetousness, covetousness other, other sins, these are clear indicators of our unrighteousness. But through faith in Christ, through trusting, believing in Christ, because Abraham believed God, that we are counted, we are accredited righteousness. In a sense, my TD bank statement says zero dollars, and then all of a sudden, somebody just sends me an, an interact for a million dollars. Wouldn't you love for that to happen to you, Right? And so there's this crediting of our account. And so the righteousness comes in, and it looks like we are becoming more like Jesus. That Jesus' credit is moving into our account, right? It's a financial term. This word is a financial term to describe credit that you have but that you didn't earn, right? And Paul's saying when you are generous, that's the kind of credit that you're receiving, when we're greedy, it hides the Christ-likeness. It hides how we look like in Christ. When we're generous, we display it for the world to see. Christ shines through us. Why should you be generous? Because it makes God shine through you. All right? And so our third question is, well, how do you become generous? How does it work then? Like, do I take a generous class, you know? Do I, uh, which I, can I make a plug real quick for a course that Lynn and I took? This is completely off the cuff, but before I forget, I, we took a course called Financial Peace University. Are you guys familiar with that course at all? You could take it for $99. It's online. If you are a crazy spender, all right, I'm not going to say which gender, but if you are a crazy spender, in my family, I am that person, uh, you, uh, you can take this course online, Lynn and I went through it, and it's very structured way, very biblical principles for how to manage your finances. Again, not so that you become rich, so that you can become generous. And so Financial Peace University uh, by a guy named Dave Ramsey. Anybody other than Ben heard of this course? Okay, all right, a couple guys, all right. And so um, I would recommend you guys do that. It would be great to do it with three or four couples or three or four people or, you know, in your BLG. I mean, it was incredible for us when we did that, right? So um, how do you become generous? Is it through Financial Peace University? Maybe, but more than that. Paul says this in uh, 18 through 29. He says, I have received full payment and more. I have received. I have received. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. It was a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in the glory of Christ Jesus. All throughout this passage, all throughout Philippians, all throughout Paul's life, Paul is saying that the way that you become a generous person is through receiving the generosity of other people. I think Mike said this a couple of months ago, that you can only give what you yourself have received. A person becomes more and more generous the more they're able to receive the generosity of others. Do you see how sometimes pride is actually a hindrance to us becoming generous people? Not that we're too prideful to give. Sometimes we give so that we look better. 
but we don't want to receive because it makes us look bad. But Paul, Paul is like the guy. He's like Jesus is number two. He's like, I loved receiving. <laughs> like, I loved it when people gave me money because I knew I was a good investment. I knew where it was going. The way that we become more generous is that we rely on the generosity of other people. Maybe you're not in a financial need right now, so maybe it's not finances for you. But maybe you have an emotional need. Maybe you have a situational need where you need to allow people to pour into you. See, when we don't, we don't, when we don't give out of what we've received, what we end up doing is that we don't free people to be generous. We enslave people to become givers. And that's not the gospel, Right? When you insist on people giving, giving to the church, giving to charity, giving to a cause, when we insist these things without them first receiving the generosity of God, the generosity of the church, the generosity of humanity, when we insist on them giving first, then what we're doing is we're not freeing them. We're enslaving them to be givers. That is not the gospel of Jesus. Now, yes, some of you guys are thinking, yeah, I've seen people take advantage of generosity. Yeah, people do that. The flip side of this is that if you have been receiving and receiving and receiving and you don't give out, it means that you really don't understand the quality and the goodness of the gift that you've been receiving. So you need to, you need to think through that. Why, do, why have people been giving to me? Why have I not been able to give even a little bit to others? But by and large, people are transformed through your kindness and not through rules and regulations, right? Paul says that the greatest motivation in becoming generous is to realize already that in Christ that we have all of our needs met according to the riches and the glory of Jesus Christ. That when we look at the cross and when we look at God, that we, with Jesus, that we see that God is giving his very best to us. God has, he's moved all of his chips into our account. Think about that. Like, my TD spiritual bank account is filled with all of God's riches. I shouldn't have this poverty mindset. Right? It says, according to his riches in the glory in Christ. What that means is that when you realize that God himself, in the most generous act in the universe, gave his best, how could you act any other way? How could you act any differently? I want to say, I know a lot of us are new Christians or we're still investigating. I want to talk to you older, you know, Christians who have been in church and maybe you grew up in the church and, um, you know, we get caught up in this discussion about the tithe, right? Tithe is, uh, historically it's been practiced as you give 10% of your income. I say gross, but, you know, we can talk about gross net, whatever, uh, towards the local church. Typically that's what it's thought of when we talk about the tithe, right? So Christians, we get all like bent about a shape and we have these, like, you know, all these, uh, uh, debates and, you know, the most part, when, when people ask this question, for the most part, when they ask, should I give a tithe or a 10% of my income to the church, most of the people who ask this question, they're asking because they want to live uh, a biblical lifestyle. They want to please God, right? Some people ask this because they're trying to get out of giving money, right? So I won't say, you know, who's who whenever I hear the question, but uh, it's usually most people want to live a good life and, and, and obey the, obey the, the Bible. But at TLC, we do ask our covenant members, uh, we do say, hey, you know, we do think that the tithe is a worthy thing to shoot for in our church, 
right? We don't keep it from membership from you, but we do say that this is something that we strive to practice as a church. From its most literal standpoint, and I'm not going to do a a huge uh, study on this, but from a literal standpoint, the tithe was a concept that God gave to Abraham to remind Abraham that Abraham has to contribute towards God's global mission, right? And so it started with Abraham. Eventually, it became codified as a law to Moses. Now, here's the thing. Jesus came, and he completed the tithe. Good news. Jesus completes the tithe. So God doesn't require 10% from us anymore because he requires 100% from us now. When Jesus came to complete all of the law, all the Old Testament, including the tithe, he came to set the example that everything that needed to be done to please God, I've done. But now I've set a standard for all those who will come after me, disciples, Christians, sons and daughters of God, right? Jesus completes the tithe. That means that every, if we had pennies still, every penny should account for some kingdom line item. Think about that. Every part of our giving should equate to some kind of kingdom mission, right? Now, I can, is Justin's teeth a part of God's kingdom mission? Yeah, I can find some really good ways to, you know, tell you that, you know, uh, that it will be pleasing to other people for him to have straight teeth, right? And so I'm not saying, I'm not saying that 100% of your income goes to the church, but we have this mind shift now from like I have this obligatory gift 10% to now everything of my life, my whole entire table belongs to God, right? So Jesus' cross, Jesus' cross becomes the standard for our giving. Imagine if Jesus only gave 10% of his blood. Or imagine if Jesus only died 10% for us. He gave everything. He gave his whole entire table. This means that as Christians, we enjoy our shrewd money managers so that we can be generous givers in the kingdom of God, right? The tithe, this is me now, this is not the Bible speaking. The tithe tithe is an easy way for Christians to feel the cross, okay? Most of us, if we were to tithe, we would feel the pinch, good, because it's supposed to remind you of the cross, if you get to the point where the tithe is easy, it's simple, great, you're graduating. Now you're in grade five. Go up closer to the 100% mark if you can. There's a pastor, his name is Rick Warren. He's out in California. The dude gives 90% of his income away, and he lives off 10%. He drives his beat-up Ford Explorer. I mean, he does have a large church. He doesn't take a salary from the church. He gives away 90% of it. I want to, by the time I die, I want to say everything that I have went to the kingdom somehow. Was, nothing was wasted, right? Sorry, no inheritance for my kids. Uh, I want to know that everything went to the kingdom of God, right? So just think about that. Every time you think about like, oh, you know, I don't know. You, it, does it pinch? Do you feel the pinch? That's the standard, Right? For some of us, it could be 5%. For some of us, 15%. And we're not just saying it all has to go to a local church. We can work that stuff out. But we're just saying is, do you feel the pinch in which you're giving to the kingdom of God? Right? That's the standard. 
Okay, so um, that would have been a great place to end, but I'm going to end um, as the band comes up in a very kind of like um, um, practical way, all right? And so um, I want to uh, end with, uh, I wrote a blog a few years ago, or sorry, a few months ago, uh, uh, entitled How to Become an Effective and Generous Giver, all right? And so uh, because I am concerned for our church, not so much because we're not giving, uh, we are to, um, you know, to a respect, we're doing about, you know, we're about B minus, right? We're, we're working to get into better than that, but, um, but I, I don't think we realize how much finances is a gauge of our, our commitment to the work that God has planned for us. And I don't think we realize how much finances, and I, hear me, hear me say this, like we rarely preach about money here at our church, but I think we're not church, I think we're comfortable at a point now where we can't afford not to. Because our finances are one of the barometers, one of the barometers that I think oftentimes can limit not just our own joy. It's, Jesus says it's better to give than to receive. But it, in a sense, we are practicing injustice when we choose not to use our finances to help the poor, to help other causes, right? Do you understand that? Like, do you, you guys realize that, right? And so it would be irresponsible of us as leaders of this church to at least not have these levels of conversation. So when we look at my recommendations here, it's going to sound all like, oh, you know, overly pragmatic and stuff like that. But it comes from a heart where I, I want and I pray and I ask and I beg us to get to a place where we're doing what God's called us to do um, in our city. So um, being generous doesn't start with a feeling. Nobody ever feels like I want to give or I'm generous. Nobody ever feels that way. It starts with the decision and, and needs a plan. So level one giving. If you currently give 0% of your finances away, all right? Okay, again, these are guides. These are, you know, I'm not going to have this conversation with you at dinner or at lunch, right? But these are things that you can ask yourself. If you currently give 0% of your finances away, find a vision that you believe in. A church, nonprofit cause, individual startup. Consider who you are currently benefiting from or who you believe in. And then find a monthly amount that you can give without disrupting your budget. All right. Oh, this music is going to make this so much more heavenly now. Um, at least try to start with 1% or 2% of your income. All right. If you're making $5,000 a month, start with 1%, which would be... Come on, half of you is Asian. Come on. <laughs> $50, right? $50. All <laughs> right. 2%. Start there, right? Make this a priority in your budget. Uh, don't just give leftovers. Don't say, I'll give this if I have it. Make this as important as uh, paying your bills or growing your savings, right? Okay. Level one. You're hanging out there for six months. You're like, I don't feel the pinch. And that was easy, right? That's not the cross for me. Well, then, my friend, you're now a level two giver, all right? If you currently give 1% to 5% of your finances away, let's say you've already established a pattern of monthly giving to your favorite organization, but you realize that it's become easy and convenient for you and that you can do more, and you don't, but you don't know how much more, increase your giving 1% each month until you reach a level where you feel like you're being stretched again. But remember, don't give leftovers. Plan this into your budget. It's as important as paying your bills. It's as important to me as, you know, my kids' braces. Level three, okay? Wow, now you're, 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 you're getting generous. You're, you're, you're a generous person, all right? If you currently give 6 to 10% of your finances away, you've increased, you know, I got to the 10% mark, and wow, I didn't die. Wow, my kids' 
they're not, you know, uh, hungry or wow, hey, I'm still paying my condo fees, right? If you're already generously giving, consider giving large one-time gifts. Give away something that would equal to a nice vacation with family. Instead of taking two trips a year, you're taking one nice trip and then investing the other into your favorite vision. Giving large one-time amounts will cause your cushy savings to dip. It's going to cause your savings to dip. But it will loosen any false security that a growing pile of money gives you security. Don't let one-time giving substitute for your already established monthly giving. So you're doing this in addition. Bam, I'm giving 10% to the local church, but I also want to give $2,000 this year to pick your choice. TC, Toronto City Mission, plug that one in there. All right, uh, pick your favorite uh, choice. And then level four, you're like, you're not, you're not quite Jesus yet. <laughs> but level four is like, man, you're doing, like you're, you're doing good. Level four is you currently give at least 10% of your finances or more away. And you feel like, okay, we're, we're at a point where we're just, I'm just playing a game now. And I don't want to play a game anymore because it's not about my finances and my income. Level four giver is a different kind of giver. Because a level four giver doesn't look at their income a level four giver says this, there's a vision and there's something that needs to happen. And if I don't raise money or if I don't um, call other people to action, that it's not going to happen. And I want to be a level four giver. And so a level four giver says, you know what, I'm giving as much as I can, but I'm calling other people to give. And I'm, I'm challenging, I'm being accountable in other people's lives. I will raise funds for this if necessary. That's a level four giver. And I think we have the capacity for a lot of level four givers in our church. Right. And the honest truth is God doesn't want to, he doesn't want anything from you. Just like I don't, I don't want my kids to give me money. It sounds ridiculous. I do borrow money from them sometimes, but I try to pay back. But I don't, I don't necessarily want money from my kids. God doesn't want money from us. He wants something for you. Then when he gave Jesus, he gave his best. And so my, my call to action today isn't so much increase your giving. Uh, if you come June 21st, it may be different that day. <laughs> but my call to action is to make the cross your standard. I just want you to meditate. And what does it mean that God gave everything for me? He gave me his best. He, he didn't withhold anything. My accounts, my spiritual account is overflowing. I want us to to meditate on that.